0: Satan's ultimate goal is to be worshipped as God. But his vast inadequacies render him unfit to be God, and so he must lie and deceive to make this happen. We see him doing this and having a measure of success all throughout God's Word. When we're first introduced to him, we're introduced to him as one who deceives Adam and Eve and leads them to really disobey God. He tells them God is lying to them, that God is keeping them from something good and, and they really kind of convinces them they can make their own decisions apart from what God has said. This initial victory he wins in their life sets up in the minds of Adam and Eve and all of their descendants the idea that someone else could be God for them, whether it's themselves or another person. We see Satan having victories all throughout the Old Testament as he deceives Israelites and others into worshiping something other than Yahweh. And it's something we may not often think about, and it would be a bit of an unpopular truth in our pluralistic society today. But it's still true according to God's word. Satan is ultimately behind every form of non-Christian religion or spirituality that exists in the world today or has ever existed in the world. Now, that can sound harsh. Gosh, that sounds so narrow-minded. But I, I believe I can prove it from God's Word. Let me, let me show you just some. So in Deuteronomy, it, it talks about that they, the Israelites, made God jealous with strange gods, with abominations. They provoked Him to anger. So we, we know a lot in the Old Testament they, they got involved in idolatry. So they got involved with these strange gods with abominations, provoked Him to anger. But notice what it says. They, they sacrificed to demons who were not gods, to gods they have not known, new gods who came lately whom your fathers did not know. So when the Israelites wandered in the wilderness and they involved themselves in these idols of the nations, who was behind the idol? Well, according to Deuteronomy, demons were. But this isn't the only place we see this. Um, The Levites left their pasture lands, their prosperity, and went to Judah and Jerusalem because Jeroboam and his sons had excluded them from serving the priests Serving as priests, the Lord, he set up priests of his own for the high places, for the satyrs and the calves which he had made. Now, this talks about the, the division of the nation under Solomon's son. Solomon's son was king. The nation was divided. And when it came time for the, the time of worship, the people in, in Israel were going to Judah to worship at, the, at where Solomon's temple was. And Jeroboam was afraid. He was afraid that if they went back and worshipped in Jerusalem, their hearts would be turned back to the sons of David and they would go there and leave him without a kingdom. And so he he builds golden calves, and and he follows the same sort of an example that Aaron had followed in the book of Exodus. Behold, O Israel, here is your God who has brought you out. But notice we're told that he did this. He brought these up. And the idea of the satyrs and the calves which he made, in some translations it talks about goat demons. right? There's various ways to translate the Hebrew word that's used there. But it's the idea of there were demons behind the calves he made and the calves that the people worshipped. But it's not just in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes, The things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons, not to God. I don't want you to become partakers with demons. So in, in Corinth, for example, there were a multitude of temples in the city. People sacrificed to the, the various idols and the various gods that they, they worshipped. They're the Greek and the Roman gods. And they worshipped them and they served them and they, they did things with them. And what Paul is saying is they're not just empty idols. There's something behind the idols. And that something is demons. And then one that we'll stop here. The Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Why? why do people who maybe were raised in church, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church, why do they depart from the faith and begin to believe things very, very contrary to the Word? Why do they buy into other religions? Why do they buy into other spiritualities? Why do they buy into sinful ideologies that are contrary to God's word and to the gospel of Jesus Christ? It is because there are deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons being promoted throughout the world and they buy into those and they believe those. This isn't by any means an exhaustive list, but it's enough to give the idea To drive home the point, Satan and demons are behind every false religion. Every non-Christian spirituality is ultimately satanic and demonic in nature. It, It has always been this way. And if the world goes on for another thousand years, other religions will rise up, other spiritualities will come, and they will too be demonic and satanic in origin. We we could say, and probably be accurate, Satan's desire to be worshipped as God is the main point of what has driven him. All of his rebellion. His rebellion against Yahweh was his desire to be worshipped as God. He would set his throne up above God's. You could also with that say, Everything Satan has done in the past and everything he's doing right now in our day to, to be worshipped as God is in some ways a dress rehearsal for what comes during the tribulation period, during the end times. Where we have been and are today in Revelation 13, we get a picture of Satan's greatest victory. The rise of the kingdom of Satan, which is essentially what the kingdom of the Antichrist is. The Antichrist rises up. He comes up from the people. He has great power, great influence. He becomes a, a one world leader. And we saw in Revelation 13 early on that the dragon, Satan, is the one who gives him the kingdom and gives him the power and gives him the ability to do those things so that the people worship the Antichrist as though he were God and that the dragon receives the worship through the people's worship of the Antichrist. And while the Antichrist raises this political kingdom, there is also a one-world religion that rises up. And in the midst of this one-world religion, the Antichrist is the face. He is the one people are worshiping. But there is one central Preacher for the one world religion. And he is what you could call the ultimate false prophet of the end times. He has great power. He teaches people. He encourages them to worship the Antichrist. But through it all, Satan is the power behind it. He convinces people, this prophet convinces people to pledge their undying loyalty to the Antichrist and thus to Satan And we're going to look today to see how he does this. Open your Bible to Revelation 13. Start at verse 11. should be page 956 in your pew Bibles. When you find that, I'm going to get a stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Revelation 13, verse 11 through 18. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and makes the earth and those who live on it worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of the sky to the earth in the presence of the people. He deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs which was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who had a wound of a sword that had come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause all who do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free and the slaves, to be given the mark on their right hands or on their foreheads. And he decrees that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. title of the message today is, same as it was last week. Beware. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. You are great and wonderful. Lord, you have given us tremendous warnings in your word not to be misled, not to be deceived. You have warned us over and over again about the reality of false teachers and false prophets and about Satan's lying wonders and the things he does to lead people to eternal damnation father the passage today reveals a prophet that comes but lord we know that this prophet the spirit that empowers him is at work in our world today Father, there are false teachers and false prophets abounding in our day leading millions and millions astray leading them to their destruction father we don't want that to happen to us We don't want that to happen to those we love. So as we look at Your Word, open it up. Let Your Spirit take it and apply it to our lives. Help us, Father, to to let Your Word be the authority in our lives that we would judge all things by what Your Word says, not not by tradition, not by we like this person, not by anything other than the, the consistency with what Your Word says. Oh God, today... Let Your Spirit strengthen us in the Word. Let Your Spirit give us a hunger and a thirst for the Word. Let Your Spirit open up the Word and reveal to us the deep things from the Word. Open our eyes that we would behold wondrous things out of Your Word. Lord, today and every day as we open it up, let us grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ so we can be workers who are not ashamed as we rightly divide Your Word. We ask this in the mighty name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. So in his long-standing war with those who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, the dragon now employs a new agent to the battlefield. Like the beast from the sea, the Antichrist, Satan brings someone who is, in many ways, the ultimate version of something he has used many times before. Satan has long used false teachers and false prophets to lead people away from Yahweh. As we've seen in Old and New Testaments, we are warned about the reality of false teachings and false prophets. The warnings God's word gives us about false teachers and false prophets are indeed serious, as we'll see more to come. But they are not just other ways to believe. They are legitimate deviations from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they move people from the kingdom of God to the kingdom of God of the Antichrist. And we must realize that. But this is, as we look at the end times and we see what this guy does, we have to realize that while this is a legitimate person, this ultimate trust prophet will rise up in the end times. Just as the spirit of the Antichrist is at work today leading people away from God to follow and give their devotion to things other than Jesus. The spirit of the Antichrist today is moving and empowering preachers and teachers to teach false doctrines and deceive people and lead them astray. So just as last week we had to beware, beware. False teachers exist. And must be recognized and rejected by disciples of Jesus. Beware. False teachers exist and must be recognized and rejected by disciples of Jesus. Right? We, we cannot be complacent. We cannot be half hearted. We cannot just sort of be there. We, we must be diligent. So how do we do this? Well, First, we refuse to judge by appearances. We're told in verse 11, the beast comes up out of the earth and he has two horns. And as we've seen in times past, horns often are symbolic of strength and authority. For instance, David uh, in 2 Samuel 22.3 refers to God as the horn of His salvation. What did he mean? He meant God was the, the strength of His salvation. God was the authority behind His salvation. Right? The false prophet has Horns representing power and authority, yet these horns are different and his authority is different than that from the Antichrist. The Antichrist on his horns, there were crowns symbolizing political power and political authority. But the false prophets horns have no crowns. So while he is powerful and influential, that he is not overtly political in that he is not a political figure. Now, given the nature of his role, leading people to worship, doing signs and wonders in the way he does, it is safe to conclude his power is in the religious realm. He is a religious leader of some sort. In fact, I think from looking at this and studying, I think it's safe to conclude he will be a well-known religious leader at the time. Now, where the Antichrist just sort of comes upon the scene among the people and has all the answers the world will know, I believe the false prophet, this this false prophet will be someone who at that time is well known and well liked by the world. My, My reasoning for this is of what he does, right? He is the one who convinces the world the Antichrist is in fact God and everyone should worship him. Now, if there's a religious leader in the world who's going to convince someone, this person who just came on the scene, they're God and we should all worship him, who has a greater influence on the world at large, right? Would it be. Pastor Joe Smith from Guyman, Oklahoma, or would it be a, a Rick Warren or a Joel Osteen? Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying Rick Warren or Joel Osteen are the false prophet, but they make my point. They carry weight. Who they are in the religious world carries weight. What they say is okay carries weight with religious people, particularly Christianish people. All throughout America and throughout the world. They are vastly influential. They have massive marketing. They have enormous followers on social media. If one of them were to come out and say, this person is God. There are far more people who would go after that person as God than if I were to say it. Right? Nobody knows who I am. I have almost no following on social media. I have no worldwide influence. But they, they do. So to deceive the whole world, which it talks over and over again, He will cause all who do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all to be given the mark. All to worship Him. In order to be able to do this, He is almost going to have to have an already established worldwide influence. He's almost going to have to be established and and respected and influential at the time He the, the Antichrist rises to power. And we're also told in verse 11 that he he looks or he has his horns like a lamb, but he speaks like a dragon. Now, most believe the idea of the, the lamb image is that of seeming harmless and trustworthy. right? So the idea is there won't be anything about this guy that will throw up any red flags for most people. Uh, most people will likely be uh, attracted to him. He will be charismatic, He will be well-spoken. He will be the kind of person people naturally seem to trust. And despite how he seems, he is actually evil. He speaks as a dragon. He is an agent of Satan. That's what it means. And it says he will speak like a dragon. He will become the spokesperson for the Antichrist. And he will motivate the masses to trust And worship the Antichrist. He will encourage the people to trust and follow the Antichrist. He will will be, I I would imagine, and this goes to the one of the the dangers of false prophets in our day as well. One of the, the dangers of false teachers, one of the ways they are effective, is their ability to seem normal. Right? Most false prophets don't come across with really wackadoo beliefs. right? Most false prophets that are influential, they aren't weird looking. They don't come wearing a a loincloth and their hair purple and their chest painted orange screaming in the streets and masses follow them. Instead, they come looking very much like us. They come talking very much like us. That they come speaking very much the same sort of things we speak, but they will differ in just a few but but very serious ways. But they are so well liked and they are so well spoken that if you were to point out their errors, people will say, you're just making too much out of them. You're just nitpicking. But this is what I imagine the the Antichrist will be like. This false prophet, not the Antichrist, the the false prophet will be like. He will come upon the scene and he will say many good things. He may even say many right things from the Bible. He will talk well. He will be well-liked. He will be on talk shows. People will love him. And then there will be some things, though, that are just not right. They're off in significant ways, but when you, if someone were to say, I don't know, he said this. I don't know if that's that. That seems wrong. Others would say, Oh, come on, look at him. you know he's such a good guy. There's no way he would lead people astray. Or oh, you're just you're just nitpicking. Don't don't be judgmental. Don't be judgmental. Don't be a, a Pharisee. Don't be one of those people. He'll have the trust of people in in such a way. That even if someone could definitively point to where he said something wrong, like, for instance, the Antichrist was God, that others are going to blow that off and act like you're making too much of a little deal. But again, it's not just this guy. It is false teachers in our day. Jesus warned us about this. He called them wolves in sheep's clothing. Right. So they are inwardly ravening wolves, but outwardly they look and act like disciples of Jesus. The Apostle Paul said they are servants of Satan who are passing themselves off as servants of Christ. And he says many will follow them. Jude says they creep into our churches and we are unaware of it. And they turn the grace of God into a license to sin And they are marked for condemnation. Now our day, and and really our day and moving forward, this is far more easily done than it ever has been in the past. In the past, when there was a false teacher who needed a great following and wanted to creep into churches unaware, he had to go there. Or people had to go to him. Or they had to write a book that people in the church read. And then take that into the church and begin to teach it. But that's not today, is it? Today, we have anyone with a, with a cell phone can go Facebook Live. And then somebody else can share it and share it and share it until it, it goes and millions of people around the world have seen it. Anyone can go to WordPress and, and make a blog and begin to write and put things up. Anyone can go to YouTube, create an account, and make face make videos. You don't have to write a book anymore. I mean, you can, and there's plenty of books out there like that. But false teachers now creep in unaware through Facebook, through Twitter, through YouTube, through blogs. And they creep in by saying what people want to hear. This is the danger, right? Paul talks about in 1 Timothy that the day will come when people will not endure sound doctrine, but they will heap to themselves teachers who scratch their itching ears. So all of the the YouTube prophets and all of the Facebook prophets, they all say what the people want to hear. And and they vary, right? So they're not, again, there there are some that are are lackages. You watch them and you think, I think the demon possessed. But then there's others and they say what people want to hear. And what people want to hear right now is really kind of all about politics, isn't it? People on one side, on the left, they want to hear how evil the last administration was, how good this administration is, and how sin is no big deal and There's 10 billion genders and and all of these kinds of things. And there are plenty of prophets out there saying those very things. And people are, yes, I love you. This is true. Even if it contradicts God's word. But people on the right, they want to hear something different. They want to hear how the last election was bogus. How Biden's going to be taken out of office and Trump is going to be reinstated. That they want to hear... How all of there's this great pedophile ring going underneath Washington. It's all going to be exposed. And there are prophets who are speaking to that every day on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter. And they are creeping in to virtually every church in America unaware. And we like them, and we're drawn to them. Because they're saying what our itching ears want to hear. And we know. We know the Bible says. If someone makes a prophecy. And says the Lord is going to do something. And that prophecy doesn't come to pass. We know the Bible says they're a false prophet. But because they're saying what we want to hear. And we like what they're doing. We ignore it. Or. Or. We know the Bible says these things are sins, despite what this prophet is saying. And so, but we want to hear they're not sins, because people we know are involved in these sins, and we want to find a reason to excuse it and make it okay. And so they're saying what we want to hear, and we embrace it. Appearances. Appearances are not a valid way to tell who is and who is not a false prophet. False prophets certainly look like demon-possessed wackadoos. They're, They're out there. But they also look like people wearing suits and ties. And they look like concerned Americans about their nation. And they look like compassionate people who just care about others. They sound that way and they look that way and they feel that way. And the temptation is to say... They look so good. They say what I like to hear. They must be right. But we cannot, we must not ever judge by appearances. A part of Satan's success at deceiving people with false doctrine is his ability to inspire his teachers to look and sound just like genuine disciples of Jesus to say what the masses want to hear. So if we don't judge by appearances, what do we do? We test all teaching against God's word. We, we looked at who he is. Now here's what he does. He exercises in verse 12 all the authority of the first beast in his presence. He makes the earth and those who live on it worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs and wonders. He even makes fire come down from heaven. Uh, Come down out of the sky on the earth in the presence of the people. Now, by exercising this power and by doing these signs, again, it's going to look, wow, that's great. I mean, how could you call fire down from heaven if you weren't of God, right? I mean, that's a very biblical miracle, isn't it? We're familiar with the story of Elijah. Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. God demonstrated he was God and not Baal by sending fire down at the prayer of Elijah that that all sounds very biblical and in fact it kind of is because as I was thinking about this I got to looking at the story of Elijah and this is interesting look at what it says at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice Elijah the prophet approached and he said Lord God of Abraham Isaac and Israel today let it be known that you are God in Israel I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so the people may know that you, Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. So Elijah prayed, was praying for fire to come down, but look at what he wanted. His desire from this was so the people would know that God was the God in Israel, that Elijah was his servant doing the will of God, and so the people would turn their hearts to God and worship God. So that was Elijah's desire for praying for the fire to come down. Well, what do we what do you think the this guy's desire will be to pray for fire to come down in the presence of the people? It will be so people will think that the God who answers that prayer and causes the fire is God. It will be to cause the people to think this false prophet is a servant of the one true God and people will turn and people will worship him. Everything this false prophet does is done for the purpose of convincing people to worship the Antichrist and thus Satan. We're told in verse 15 that it was given to him to breathe into the image of the beast. So the image would speak and cause all who do not worship the image to be killed. I'm somewhat fascinated about him making an image of the of the Antichrist who speaks. I, and I don't know, I was thinking, I don't know, I mean, I really don't know how this is supposed to work. I don't know if this is some sort of like an animatronic kind of thing, or if it's like some sort of 3D graphic, or if it's legitimately a like something they build and the devil empowers. We well, don't, don't really know. But it's kind of a fascinating thing. It, it speaks to the people. And it looks like, that the people who won't worship this image are the ones who are going to be killed. Sort of, again, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Bow before the idol. We're going to be tossed into the fire. And what God can deliver from my hand. So it it's kind of has that sort of a, a feel to it. But through it all, deception is key to everything he does. To get people to trust. Trust him. He is a prophet of the one true God. The Antichrist is the one true God. He exercises authority, performs miracles so the people will believe in his power. He deceives the people so they worship the Antichrist and the image of him. Just as Satan is a liar and the father of lies, this guy is a liar who says whatever needs to be said. He tickles everyone's ears to say what they want to hear so they will believe he is a prophet of the one true God and the one true God is God. The Antichrist. Now, I mentioned last week that there are entire movements in our day that that are built on the performance of signs and wonders, and and they have millions of followers. And the signs and wonders they do—I mean, I, I don't know how to—testimonies of people being healed and things like that. I, I really don't know how to say it did or didn't happen. But I know the doctrine they teach. I know the things they say about Jesus aren't true. I know they aren't real. I know they're not right according to the Bible. I know that some of these people who who teach and are popular and have a a worldwide following, they they claim themselves to be God in some ways. They, They pound their chest and they say, I am God Almighty. And the people in the crowd just... Or they say, when I read the Bible and God says, I am, I just smile and say, I am too. And the people just just throw money, hand over fist, at them. But there's signs and there's wonders and there's things that are done. And you say, well, see, God must obviously be okay with it because look at all this that's happening. But what we learn here is just because there are signs and wonders... Just because there are big things happening, that doesn't mean it's God. The devil can cause big things to happen. The devil can in some ways cause signs and wonders. Signs and wonders don't necessarily come from God. Big things going on in a a movement don't necessarily point to God's approval of it. Beware. Beware we must beware and what we have to do is is check what they say right test their teaching against god's word but false prophets are deceptive they are sneaky they are difficult at times to discern but god's word assures us we can't We can recognize them if we do what God's Word says to do. It takes, though, effort on our part. It takes maturity on our part. It takes a a willingness to differ from the world. Because, again, false prophets are largely very well liked. And for us to say they're wrong and they're a false prophet, if we say that to someone who likes them, is not likely to make us popular with them. We have to be willing to do this. Part of what we do in order to test people's teaching is we ask two questions. What is their authority? Everyone who teaches anything has something as the authority for their teaching. For the disciple of Jesus, that authority is the Word of God. For a false prophet, it may not be that. It may be something different, something slightly Varied, So we look and we say, what is the authority for their teaching? Jude talks about people who are dreamers, who reject authority, speak abusively of angelic majesties. Now, the idea of their rejecting authority, the main implication is they reject the authority of God's word. It's unlikely, particularly in the Christian-like movements, that they come out and say, I reject the authority of God's word. Because that would be a massive red flag for even the most nominal of Christians. But what they can do is have the Bible in their hands, pretend they're using it. But but actually, if you listen, you begin to find out there's some other authority that is the focus of their teaching. Right Now, so for some, those that you've heard me talk about called the crazies, it will be the dream, the, the visions and the revelations. And they may even start with God's word. So I was reading the other day in Revelation 13, and it says He performs signs to make fire come down. And, and the Lord said, "If the devil makes signs, I'll make bigger signs. I'll, I'll do more than he does." Well, I mean, that that kind of sounds, yeah, yeah, do more, God. But but is that what this is says? Is that what this is about? Is is anything? Anywhere in here, calling us to pray for fire to fall and bigger signs and wonders, it doesn't. So where, where, what's the authority behind a teaching like that? Well, the dream and the vision that God just gave me about this verse. Now, I'm sorry, Joe, you don't agree with me on that, but brother, God told me. God told me. Are you going to disagree with God? But that's, that's how the crazies will do it. They may start with the Bible but then they've had a dream or a vision about a particular passage that may have nothing to do with it or contra- actively contradict it But God told them. And that dream or that vision then becomes the authority behind their teaching. Not, not God's actual word. And in that case they have this part. We've got to understand that. It's a subtle thing. It can be a subtle thing. But it's a real thing. This is is our authority as a teaching. This is our authority. And it's given to us for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And everything eventually has to connect with this. And if my authority about what's right and doctrine, about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what God is like, what God's going to do, if it can't come from here, you ought to reject it. You, you ought to reject it if I'm trying to do some other authority other than God's Word. And you ought to do it with me, and you ought to do it in your Sunday school class. And you ought to do it with the fellows on TV. And you ought to do it with the books you read. And you ought to do it with the folks on Facebook. And the young ones on YouTube. And the ones on Twitter. And all. What's the authority behind this teaching? And if it's not God's Word, it ought to be rejected. Another way that it gets done in our day will be done by casting doubts about what God's Word has actually said. Right? They may say things like, well, I just can't... I mean, I, my friends have a friend, and he's he's gay, and he and his his fellow, they love each other, and they're so kind. They're kinder than a lot of church people I've known. Oh, they, they love each other, and they, they're they good in their community, and gosh, I mean, isn't, isn't God love? And And... Can that can love be wrong? I just I, I don't know. What? Well, gosh, that sounds so kind, so compassionate, so loving, so heretical, so damning. But that's that's what others do. And, and again, there there they're, there's books, and they're on Twitter, and they're on social media. And what they do is they they undermine. God's word constantly. They start with God's word, but then they begin to undermine it. I don't I mean the God I know, I just I can't see him condemning those people to hell. They're so kind. And they're a false teacher. Because what they feel is compassionate is the authority for their teaching. Or what culture says is the authority for their teaching. But but again, not God's word. So we, with all teachers who try to teach us from the Bible, from God's word, we need to ask, what is their authority? Second question to ask and answer is, what do they actually teach? What do they actually teach? Again, this is difficult. In fact, it's can be more difficult than the authority because false teachers often say the same words we say. The Bible warns us about this. Look at what it says. If one comes and teaches another Jesus whom we have not preached or you receive a different spirit that you have not received or a different gospel that you have not accepted. he's, He's rebuking them so he says you tolerate it very well. Galatians, he says, I'm amazed you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for, look, a different gospel, which is not another account. It's not another gospel, but it's a distortion of the gospel of Christ. Paul says we, we should reject people who teach another Jesus. And they they preach about a different spirit and they Proclaim a different gospel because they are not different Jesuses or another account. They are, in fact, distortions. So it's entirely possible for a false teacher to come and tell you to accept Jesus into your heart. You must believe in Jesus. And you must serve Jesus. But what's the Jesus they're talking about? Is it the Jesus of Nazareth? From God's Word, who is the, the Christ, the Son of the living God? Or is it the Jesus of, of Mormonism, who is the brother of Satan? Or is it the Jesus of Jehovah's Witness, which is the first being God created? Or is it the Jesus of Islam, which was a prophet under Muhammad? Or is it the, the Jesus... Of Hinduism, who was an exalted sort of Buddha, or Buddhism, who was an exalted sort of Buddha? Or is it the Jesus of Americanism, who died so we'd never get sick, and died so we would be prosperous, and died so that we would have an easy, comfortable life? Because those aren't the same Jesus as the Jesus of Nazareth, who was the Christ, the Son of the living God. What do they say about Jesus? What do they say he is? He did, where He came from. What was the purpose of His death? Did He really rise from the dead? Is He truly the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the Word of God which was with God in the beginning? Or is He something else? What is the Gospel, the good news? What is their good news? That you must repent and believe and do good works to be saved? Because that's not the Gospel. What is the Spirit they're telling you to embrace? What does... The Spirit you receive. What does the Spirit bring you to do and do in you? What are they actually teaching? We, we have to examine these things. Too much is at stake to blindly follow anyone. And so what we must do is examine everything. Hold on to what's good and reject What's bad? This is how we keep from being distracted and dis- and led astray by false prophets. We don't say, well, I like what they say, therefore it must be true. It may be appealing to our sinful nature. It may be appealing to something other than the spirit within us. It may just be something we like and we want to believe, but does it? Does it jive with God's Word? Is it consistent with that? Someone told me once, I think they meant it as a compliment to me. He said, I don't want to study the Bible on my own. I want to come to church, and let the pastor tell me what it means and what I'm supposed to do about it. And that is, that is dangerous. That's how you end up in Africa drinking Kool-Aid. That's how you end up chasing the tail of a comet. That's how you end up dead. That's how you end up damned. Just put it that way. Don't don't take anybody's word. Don't take my word. I, I believe I'm wrong, and I don't mean that to sound arrogant. I study. I pray. I look at commentaries to make sure I'm not. If I'm the only one coming up with this idea, probably I'm not right. So I look to be sure. And I think I'm right. But, you know, I might be wrong. I could be. I mean, gosh, stranger things have happened. This is 2021. A lot of things are a whole lot weirder than me being wrong going on in the world right now. So examine what I say. Go home today. i give you my sermon notes. I mean, if you want them, you tell me you're you, can me your email address. You can't just give it to me. I'll never remember it. Give me your email address. I'll email you my sermon notes. You can study. I'll email you every sermon I've ever preached at this church. And you can study every one of them out to see if what I'm saying is conf- is consistent with God's word. I-, I believe I'm right. And if I'm not, I want to know. Don't ever take anyone's word for it. Too much is at stake. Eternity. Heaven and hell hang in the balance. We know We know this is God's Word. And therefore, anything that's taught is coming from God. It must be consistent with this. It must follow the teaching here because this has been given to us for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, and to, to reprove and rebuke us. Not... Not a vision I had last night. Not cultural conformity. Not some other religion. Not some other teacher. This. But to do this, to to find out if what somebody says is consistent with this, it requires effort on our part. It's easy, you know, to go along with the crowd. It's easy to just assume everybody on the Christian TV station is a Christian teaching the truth. It's easy to assume every prophet on Facebook is truly a prophet of God speaking via the Holy Spirit. It's easy. Anybody can do that. It's also easy to say, I'm the only one that's right and anything that even challenges remotely what I believe is is wrong. That's, That's easy too. But neither of those are what we're called to be. We're not called to be naive. We're not called to be stubborn. We're called to know the truth. And so we ought to Take what we hear and test it against God's word and study it. And if it's if it's true, then hold it firmly. And if it's not, throw it away. I'll, I'll close with this. Revelation thirteen and eight. says that those who live on the earth will worship him whose name has not been written in the book of life since the foundation of the world one of the main ways to be sure we don't get deceived is to be sure we know jesus because there's a a holy spirit within us that will rise up and say that that's not right and we should listen to that years ago when i was in the army we had a guy come to our dorm, or our room, our, our, our room, and he began to to share the Bible with us. And, and I wasn't a good Christian by any stretch of the imagination at that point in my life. I had just just barely really committed. I knew so little of what the Bible said, but there was just something that he was saying. I mean, I, I couldn't I couldn't have told you why. I was just like. I believe the Bible, but I don't know, something's not right. I've never heard the sort of things you're saying before. He was like, well, if your pastor didn't tell you things he really doesn't love you, you should listen to me and come to our church. And I was just like, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm not going to listen. I, I, I would really, really like you to leave. So I was telling my parents about it. And my mom, my mom's like, we've been praying for you to have a, christian friend and that was him and you ran him off and so i was thinking oh man i guess that's what it was i mean mom prayed and this dude with the bible comes up and later a few days later we were watching an mtv special and it was an mtv special on cults and how they focus on around universities and around military posts because they find young people who are away from home the first time and maybe can feel drifting as they began to list several names, they talked about one. And it was right outside Fort Campbell, Kentucky. It was this church. This dude was a false prophet. And I didn't know. I couldn't refute him with the Bible. I didn't know the Bible well enough. But there was something in me that said, he's, he's not right. That's not real. Listen, we, we do. I'm not saying don't study. Study. Check it. And when we're born again and the spirit of the living God is within us, He doesn't want us to be deceived. He is the spirit of truth who leads us to all truth. So before you study, before you refuse to judge by appearances, before you do all those things, be sure you're born again. Be sure you know Jesus. And then check what they say against God's word. And if it's right, embrace it. And if it's wrong, we reject it no matter how many Facebook followers they have, how many books they've written, how eloquently they speak, how Christian they seem, how nice they are, how much we like what they're saying. We reject anything that doesn't line up from God's Word. Let's stand